This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, baseball fans. Welcome to Rounders, your baseball history podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lambert. Get ready to step into the time machine with us, and we're not just talking stats and scores. We're digging into the heart and soul of the players, teams, and countries that have made this a global sport. From the underdog stories to those jaw-dropping moments, Rounders is your front seat to the epic journey of baseball. So grab a seat in the digital bleachers, relax, and let's swing for the fences together. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Rounders, a history of baseball in America. I am your host, Jeff Lambert. I'm joined today by Kevin Baker. He's the author of the upcoming book, The New York Game, Baseball and the Rise of a New City. Kevin's a novelist, a historian. He's a journalist, currently the contributing editor at Harper's Magazine. He's the co-author of Reggie Jackson's biography, Becoming Mr. October. You've had your work featured in the New York Observer, New York Times, and the New Republic. And with all that said, Kevin, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show to discuss your upcoming book. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. So let's jump right into it. I'm excited. I got to read the advanced copy of the book. I know our audience is going to love this, and I want to start off by focusing on that. If you had 30 seconds to describe your book to a potential reader, how would you summarize it? Well, the New York game is the story of how what we know as baseball today uh, was really started in New York and how it reflected and influenced the city uh, that grew up with it in the last couple hundred years. Yeah. And the the span, we're talking about almost 200 years of history here that you're covering. Yes. Yeah. Really, really. Yeah. About 200 years. Kind of the first uh, known advertisements for a baseball game in uh, New York City uh, were from 1823. So we're talking almost exactly 200 years. That must have been a lot of time in the archives, talking to different people. You're, you're <laughs> digging into, you know, history very gone, you know, by before new media. Can you share a little bit about the research process that you put together and how you navigated getting all this information together? Well, really, it was, um, I, you know, a most of it really was done from books. Um, this is the thing I was very lucky about. You know, baseball is America's writing game. The way I guess cricket is in, in England and other sports are elsewhere. This is really like such a phenomenal, there's such a phenomenal uh, archive of books about the game. So that was a, a huge, you know, part of that. Sure, it went back to newspapers uh, you know, of the time, all, all through the times, uh, you know, and of course there's a lifetime of watching baseball myself following the game, but, uh, really depended on just these fantastic writers, you know, uh, this was, you know, this is a thing when I was doing a, uh, this, uh, as told to book with Reggie Jackson. And at one point, you know, he was, Reggie was a little mercurial in how he would respond to questions. And at one point I was trying to kind of, uh, really pique his interest by reading him, uh, the passages that Roger Angel wrote about him in the 1977 and 1978, uh, post seasons, the world series. And, uh, he listened raptly and said, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's great. Just do something like that, Kevin. And I thought, yeah. And then I'm going to go out and 
paint like Rembrandt and, you know, <laughs> compose music like Mozart. You know, you can't you can't really outdo guys like that, but you hope to learn from them and you hope to, uh, you know, uh, benefit from where they've been and how they've covered the game. That's true. It, it is well-trod territory. There's so much to mm-hmm. read through. I mean, this show in general about baseball history, there's there's always, I feel like, an overwhelming amount of information almost that you have to sift through to kind of find the the stories and the threads that you're looking to pull on for your book. Very, very much so. Yeah, it's uh, there's uh, it's really kind of uh, really just intertwined with the country and and particularly with New York City, which a lot of people don't know and uh, don't, uh, you know, are surprised by. Now we think about New York, you know, in a lot of ways, some people refer to it as the capital of the world is where everything happens. And as a person who loves mm-hmm. American history, there's those cultural, there's those societal landmarks that happen that are tied mm-hmm. into New York. But yeah. baseball mirrors those really quickly, too. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. The evolution of baseball. How mm-hmm. did it also affect New York coming up culturally and societally? Well, it it it. Uh, reflected New York and it was influenced by it in the sense that uh, much like the city itself, the game uh, was this sort of great melting pot or gorgeous mosaic, if as others have called it, uh, you know, in which almost everybody was allowed to play, to work together uh, and to benefit from that collaboration. You know, um, it was thought at one point that the, all the early city ga- uh, teams were just these kind of gentlemen's clubs. There were gentlemen's clubs, but there were also regular day laborers forming teams. Almost everybody formed a team. There were, uh, there were teams made up of postmen, teams made up of uh, milk delivery guys. You know, uh, you know, it was uh, a great thing in that sense. And they played each other, and this became this you know beneficial thing for everybody. The game improved. And the city improved. I say almost the one terrible exception, as it is in all other aspects of New York life and, and American life, was uh, how constantly uh, people of color, particularly uh, African Americans, were excluded from the game. Um, even at a time when when Native Americans were allowed to play, you know, they were uh, they were always patronized and called chief. You know, there was a, a, a catcher, a very good catcher of the New York Giants named uh, John Myers, and they called him Chief Myers. You know, he had a Harvard degree, you know, they're calling him Chief, you know. Uh, but the big the big group really excluded were people of color, uh, and, and again, and particularly black Americans. And that's, uh, a, you know, a terrible part. Uh, that's a terrible tragedy in black life, although it led to um some great innovations in the game by these black players you know this alternative black culture that was really spectacular came out of that by necessity but it was a, tra- a tragedy for all of us a tragedy to have these players um excluded you know there's a whole thing people say like well can there be can you really say such and such was the greatest team ever because they played before Jackie Robinson uh reintegrated the major leagues uh and you know it's it's not that the, those teams were bad and not that those teams were you know were were uh degraded by by this it's all of us were degraded by it all of us missed out on something and all of us were uh were the lesser for this it's those great what ifs you know i, I mm-hmm. talked about this in a previous episode that i did just yeah. imagine a world where we could have seen josh gibson and Babe Ruth oh, yeah. each other, you know, just the entertainment value alone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's, uh, all these great play, you know, uh, cannonball, Dick Redding, Cyclone, Joe Williams, these great, uh, early black players, Oscar, you know, you have all these guys, Oscar Charleston, who was called the Babe Ruth of black baseball, uh, Spotswood poles, the, uh, Ty Cobb of, of, of black base, you know, uh, the, uh, the black Ty Cobb, you know, these were all um, guys who, you know, would have been fantastic to see in the major leagues. Martin DeHigo, who uh, was fascinating, probably the closest thing to Ruth. You know, was he, was he as good as Ruth? Was he better? You know, a guy who also pitched throughout his career. Um, you know, this is something that we all missed out on. And that's, and that's really the, 
a terrible shame. It's true. My favorite little tidbit about Martin Diego, he's the only professional baseball player to ever be inducted into three separate... Yes, yes. <laughs> like the Cu- Cuban, Mexican, right, and American ho- Baseball Hall of Fame. You know? Yeah, that's and, it, and it's good these guys finally got some recognition many years later. But uh, yeah, it was, you know, the color line was a horrible thing. and It went on and on. Agreed. You know, I wonder... In some ways, you know, if baseball had originated in a different city that had less diversity, you know, maybe a Midwest city, would baseball have developed the same and and even gotten to that point where we saw integration? What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. And I think, but I think it is interesting that uh, Brooklyn really was the the borough that that integrated, you know, the, the sport. Um, that Brooklyn thought of itself, you know, prided itself on being this melting pot. It was in all these sort of World War II movies, you know, they'd have the classic platoon that was made up of uh, all these guys from Brooklyn who were, you know, Italian and Jewish and Irish. And, and uh, you know, that's that's great that they would be the ones who came along and changed it. And it's And yeah, it's great. You know, also this came about in part because of government action, which we often overlook. Uh, Thomas Dewey, this very liberal Republican, uh, you know, passed like the first state anti-discrimination laws in the country. And that really gave New York the, uh, you know, really gave the Brooklyn Dodgers the chance to move in there and, uh, and, you know, start and integrate the sport. That's a great point. Yeah. You know, Branch Rickey doesn't have that opportunity if he doesn't have the ordinances behind him. Yeah, yeah, and Brand, you know, and in fairness, Branch Rickey was certainly a Midwestern guy. Came from uh, came from Ohio, and uh, certainly like uh, somebody who was very much a Heartland guy, but uh, you know, also really found found his metier in the city, in the big city. Yeah, absolutely, you know, we all react to different locations. Absolutely, yeah. Kevin, I want to jump a little bit more into sure. who are some of the players specifically that you discuss in the book. Where do you place the focus in terms of individuals? You talk about the city at large, but uh, give us a couple of players that you dived into in the book. Well, there are so many great ones, you know, and that was it was hard limiting them, you know, starting from James Creighton, kind of the first star of the sport back in the 1850s, uh, you know, early 1860s, right to um, then you have, uh, you know, all these. I mean, Ruth, Babe Ruth is amazing. You know, as as there was a quote I have in the book, all the lies about Babe Ruth are true. Um, and that was kind of the thing. He is larger than life, and he actually did all this stuff. You have um, uh, you have Lou Gehrig, who is an amazing and sad story. Uh, John McGraw, an incredible story. Um, owners, irresponsible innovative, ruthless, you know, Jacob Rupert, maybe the greatest sports owner in American history, really transformed not only baseball, but big time sports in general. Uh, The character, though, I think I was most struck by was Christy Mathewson, who is an incredible story, you know, known as the Christian gentleman was one of his nicknames, as well as the big six. And so, you know, uh, Grantland Rice said he was the only player he'd ever met who was greater than the sport and he was so known as a goody goody so known as a as a christian gentleman that there's he's actually his there's a depiction of him in a stained glass window to this day in saint john the divine's cathedral and came uh to uh you know came to the major leagues and used to say stuff like you know um uh, any man who would cheat on his wife would also betray his country you know and things like and it just he sounded unbearable but he adjusted, he learned, and you know his teammates who initially couldn't stand him, they just loved him in very short order. And he uh, he loved to gamble, and he would gamble with them and become one of the guys. He would brawl with them. They were this tough brawling New York Giants team, fit right in. John McGraw, the complete demographic opposite in so many ways. Uh, you know, McGraw was a, a Irish Catholic Democrat. Uh, Matthewson was this waspy Protestant. They, they, and their wives shared a house together for f- several years. You know, I don't, as Frank DeFord writes, I don't think, is there any other example of this in major league sports? I don't think so. Um, you know, so he really changed and got on and then, you know, kind of heartbreaking thing. He was this great pitcher, the first real major league superstar 
he goes into managing uh, the Cincinnati Reds after he retires and gets his heart broken by uh, Hal Chase and these continual gambling scandals. That really leads him to go to World War II. Uh, world, I'm sorry. That really leads him to go to World War One. He, uh, where in this horrible accident, he gets gassed in this training exercise and gets tuberculosis and dies very young. Uh, you know, as a result of that. So it's really kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a tragic story of how, you know, what the darker part of baseball, which the game couldn't contain, uh, ended up destroying one of its one of its greatest stars. Yeah, there's so many examples of that. I agree. And and early baseball, that's what makes it the most interesting. There's so much societal upheaval going along while you've got this game kind of trying to oh, yeah. itself and so many changes going on. And I'd want to bring it back to the title of the book, Kevin. You call it the New York game. Yes. Yeah. I'd like to talk about what are some of those pivotal moments that make baseball so dependent on its New York history, like throughout that that journey. Where is New York so clearly embedded into the sport? Well, and that's the thing, you know, we 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 are insistent that baseball was this pastoral game. You know, we want we want to think of it as little boy, you know, Randy Newman line, little boys playing baseball in the rain, you know, that we want to think them out in a cow pasture, and that's what we you know, just as we like to think of most things American as pastoral. And it really wasn't. You know, the only, you know, it was very hard to get a bunch of guys together for a game on American farms, which were quite large. You know, I mean, one of the names it was called was Town Ball. And that was because, you know, when you were in town on Sunday, um, you know, you could maybe get up a game. Otherwise, hard to do. New York, you had all these vacant lots. There were all these people around. Uh, often the first players were clerks because they were more able to get an afternoon off. But, you know, everybody played the game because, you know, you could just go right there with a bunch of your friends on the slot and uh, and start playing. And so it really had this kind of urban core. Um, and in New York, it, it adjusted quickly. Uh, you know, the game adjusted quickly uh, the way New York kind of adjusted quickly to things. You know, the city, uh, you know, advanced in these kind of sudden great coups yeah. of innovation. For instance, you know, one of the big uh, keys to their to New York becoming a, a, a you know, it's, New York has always had a great natural harbor. It really adv- became this great shipping port in part because they started doing something seemingly so simple, but so innovative as having ships leave at a set time instead of just like, you know, when the when the captain sobered up or when the tide was right, it was like this, you know, the black ball line is sailing for England at this time, you know, on this day. Uh, boom, you know, later you had the Erie Canal, which connected up the city to the Midwest and all this amazing, all these amazing commodities, food, timber, everything. Uh, then you had railroads, New Yorkers, New York's magnates invested heavily in railroads went across the country everything kind of being uh shipped gathered transported back to the city and then on to europe um on to the rest of the country so this was really um you know uh key to how the city advanced and the same thing with the game the game kept getting kind of revised and uh changed very fast in in new york and you see the alternative games you know, uh, which at the time were, you know, kind of, I mean, everybody had their own version of baseball. I, as I say in the book, you know, b- people who claim to have invented baseball, they go back to about the Savannah. You know, everybody had a bat and ball game they played. There were Polish laborers playing something called long ball at uh, Jamestown Colony, you know. Uh, but baseball was, uh, it, you know, but they, and the, the most popular versions by the 1850s or so besides the New York game, where the Philadelphia game, where you had a circle in stakes 20 feet apart from each other, a fifth stake in the middle, you hit the ball with uh, something called a Dolil. You imagine how that must have gone over in New York, you know, hey, give me the Dolil I want to hit, you know. Um, (laughs) And you had either, you had uh, generally 11 guys in a lineup, and either you played two inning games in which you had to get out all 11 guys in one inning, 
or or you had to get one guy out and you played 11 innings but you know so uh the massachusetts game which john thorne is a big advocate of and you know john thorne's an amazing baseball writer and historian but you know he he feels we missed out on kind of playing this game instead no foul or fair territory uh you could turn and hit the ball behind you if you wanted to seven to 14 players on the field uh and you were only retired by somebody hitting you with a ball uh and it was a you know a rubber ball then it wasn't nearly as hard but that was the way you got somebody out this sounds like nothing so much as a looney tunes cartoon you know it would be really interesting to see it played but you know absolutely daft and i don't know how you could have fit a stadium around it whereas the new york game foul you know the basic rules foul fair territory uh a diamond bases at a wider distance between each other you know the basic ball strike count set lineup nine people you know uh this was uh you know this was how we, how it evolved here and uh, you know it's uh we we did it well hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, the game, like you said, would be unrecognizable to what we're playing yeah. today in a lot of ways if we had adopted uh, a different uh city or territories rules and ways of playing so yeah yeah we're playing the new york game no yeah doubt about it. yeah very much so um yeah kevin i'd like to jump into as well you dedicated this book to a lot of different people i was reading the foreword mm-hmm. you also we're going to talk about it in a little bit too but mm-hmm. you have a personal journey with baseball through your life how does the writing of this book reflect the people that you've met in your journey with the sport? Well, very, you know, it was really some of the best times I've had in my life have been at ballparks, you know, uh, certainly the best times with my father. You know, uh, I was born in New Jersey. We were going to move up to Massachusetts. My father took me to see my first ball game, took me to see the Yankees at, in 1967 at uh, the original you know, the OG Yankee Stadium, which was, uh, you know, great to have got there and to see Mickey Mantle, you know, which was amazing. And like a week later, my uncle, who is uh, the closest to, you know, of all my uncles and terrific guy, took me to see the Mets at Shea uh, on a day when Willie Mays and the Giants were in. As he was still a big Willie Mays fan. He had grown up as a Giants fan and uh you know, and it was great to be able to see those those guys. And then, you know, growing up in Massachusetts, I'd go in and see, uh, we'd go see the Red Sox. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, those were also good times with my father, you know, uh, even though I was not a Red Sox fan, to say the least. Uh, Fenway is a fantastic place to see a game, I have to, I have to admit. So that was, uh, that was great fun, too. You know, um, it was, uh, you know, this is, it's a good time of year. It's the summer. It's relaxed. You're sitting there with friends or family. It's, uh, you know, it's really terrific, uh, you know, terrific time. So this book almost seems like it's a love letter to your childhood, to the sport that your, you know, your dad and your uncle gave you. Would that be an accurate statement? Yeah, it, that is an accurate statement. It is kind of a love letter to my childhood. It's, uh, you know, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's as I'm sure you know, as as many of us know who are ball fans, it's a way you kind of remember things. By, you know, you kind of measure time, measure things in your life. You know, it 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 frustrates my wife that I'll say stuff like, "Oh yeah, that was uh, 
back when the you know that year the Yankees collapsed in September or yeah that was that year the the Mets were the World Series you know <laughs> you know yeah we we kind of tend to follow everything by uh, by baseball which was another one of the games the game's great innovations was uh, the long season and a league as from from what I could tell and I could be wrong on this but from what I could find there was not no such thing as a sports league until the uh, National Association of, you know, baseball players in uh, professional baseball players in 1871. Uh, and so having that thing and having that, la- you know, the season that lasts all this time, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't just have had teams go on playing exhibition games, playing tours, playing challenge cup games. Uh, but they came up with a, with a league. Yeah. And you had a population that was primed for it too, you know, with the industrial revolution, all of a sudden we've got work hours that are standardized. You've got a little bit of a disposable income. You want to take the girlfriend or the wife out for something to do at night. Baseball, I think became that early, like entertainment option that people could enjoy with that new, you know, instead of measuring your day by when the sun comes up and milk the cows and when you go to bed, when the sun goes down. Exactly. You know, uh, Americans love statistics. We often deny we do. And and to a certain degree, statistics have kind of overwhelmed the game and overwhelmed all games a little bit these days. But we love statistics. Uh, you know, I think it it's part of taking this um, vast continent, this sem- seemingly limitless place we took over, and trying to cut it down into something measurable. And that becomes stuff like the Taylor you know, plan for, you know, dividing work and, you know, the assembly line system, it becomes things like measuring uh, baseball and baseball particularly lends itself to it because it's a game where you can really easily define each play. And so this became a statistical thing. We also love betting, you know, early on kind of major league baseball came about in part because people love to bet on the games. You know, there's all this money going into it meant after a while you had to pay the players and you know it changed it in uh in that way as well but yeah we love we love breaking it down to each little thing trying to make some kind of rationality out of uh, out of everything you know europe europeans play soccer and you'll hear this things after well it was a scoreless tie but oh there was some magnificent play which seems very european <laughs> you know american sports we want like hits runs and errors you know uh, this sort of thing <laughs> yeah it becomes uh you know it's almost a I, I explained to my son baseball is chess you know as opposed to checkers you know yeah, a lot of elements yeah. you have to always look at when you're when you're, you know, uh, watching the game. And I think that's one of the beauties of it that you may not get with some of the other sports. So I, yeah. And I think more than any other sports, uh, baseball is an individual game yeah. within a team game, which is really, you know, really does make it unique. It's, it's, uh, you know, you, I mean, obviously you have like, you know, a guy will drive on somebody one-on-one in basketball or, or, uh, you know, a quarterback will throw to a receiver, but really, more than anything, baseball is this intense one-on-one fight between pitcher and batter, and then the team game around that. So, you know, it's one of the things I love about it. Absolutely. Me too. And I'd like to take the moment, too. We've talked about the book. Obviously, I think not only if you're a fan of baseball history, but it sounds like if you're a fan of New York history, if you're a fan of just how mm-hmm. things fuse together throughout American history, culturally, you know, uh, mm-hmm. ethnically, it sounds like. It covers all the bases. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. If you're a fan of the Broadway theater <laughs> or movies or anything, get this book. Uh, yeah, I, I hope so. You know, I hope it, it does. Uh, thanks. And uh, I, uh, you know, we'll see how this, uh, how this goes. But uh, yeah, it was a pleasure for me to write. A little overwhelming to write, but a pleasure for me to write in, uh, in this sense. And um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think I think the listeners will too. So I want to talk yeah. a little bit about how they can get it in a minute, but I'd like sure. to spend a couple minutes talking about you, getting to know you. I try and oh, okay. with all the authors that come on the show, you know, a book's a book. Yeah, there's a yeah. person behind the book. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> you mentioned it a little bit. Your mm-hmm. earliest baseball memory was that going to the game at Yankee Stadium with your dad? Yes. Did you have an earlier one? Yeah. No, that was my earliest one. 
Uh, it was in the summer of 1967. I remember I still have the the scorecard. I wasn't keeping score yet, but I still have the scorecard from it. Uh, I remember uh, Horace Clark played very well. I've always had a certain soft spot in my heart for him since then. Uh, Joe Pepitone made a key error that lost the game. <laughs> that was also par for the course at the time. Uh, you know, so that was that was my earliest uh, time, you know. Um, writing seems to be a part of you this is much <laughs> being a baseball fan one of the interesting things <laughs> i saw you know in our preliminary lead-up was you started writing for a newspaper at 13 years old correct i was thir- i was living we were we were living in this small town rockport massachusetts great place uh it was a great pleasure to grow up there and uh right next door was uh the right was gloucester the old fishing port and the, our paper was the Gloucester Daily Times. They were between sports editors. So they looked around to get people to uh, write about the uh, the games at these local high schools. And I was like the student manager and scorekeeper on the baseball team. Uh, they didn't they didn't cut anybody from the sports teams who were too small at high school. So uh, but I, I was still in junior high. I was in eighth grade. And uh, I. Uh, you know, uh, got hired to write these games, a uh, game accounts up, uh, $10 a story, which was major money at the time when, you know, babysitting was like a dollar an hour and, uh, you know, or, or everybody worked in the kitchens. It was very tourist town. So, uh, in the summer, you know, made much less than that. So this was a great, uh, a great thing. I had, I had to learn to type to keep the job. Uh, my uh, mother, who was secretary for many years, taught me how. Uh, and this, you know, this really got me into writing professionally. I, 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 you know, ended up deciding I didn't want to write, uh, do a regular sports beat, daily beat. You know, I have, I have a lot of respect for, uh, daily sports writers, but boy, I don't know how you keep it fresh after, you know, a couple decades at that, you know? So, uh, but I started, started writing that way and it led to, uh, you know, became a lifelong, uh, avocation. Yeah, here we are today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, now you uh, grew, so you spent time in Massachusetts during yeah. your childhood. You obviously yeah. lived in New York. Where do your allegiances lie in terms of your professional sports teams? Oh, well, I've always been a New York fan. Uh, so um, I did not desert those teams when I went to Massachusetts. So I, I stuck, and it was, you know, New York teams were not all that good at that time. True. Very true. It, you know, went up there. The, Yankees and the Mets, or is it a? Yeah, I, I, I just to say, I went up there in '67. You know, we we moved up there in like August of 1967. This was the impossible dream summer in Boston, you know, in Massachusetts. The Yankees finished ninth that year. I think the Mets also finished ninth, or the Mets finished tenth. You know, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, I, um, I. Uh, well, it's, uh, I've you know kind of trying to hide you know which team I rooted for because in the second book you know was uh, this book ends in 1945 and the second book we have the Yankees and Mets and I was interested to see how people uh, would react to uh, to that if they could tell w- which I was a fan of. I have to admit I'm a Yankees fan, but I'm not one of these guys who hates the Mets. I've always liked the Mets. Um, you know, for me, the real villain is is the Red Sox. You know? <laughs> uh, but uh, but no, I've uh, I've you know been a it was a Yankees fan all through those years in uh, in Boston. I think you know the the game is at its most fun in New York when both teams are doing well. I loved that period, like nineteen ninety eight through about two thousand one or so. Yep. where both teams looked like they were going to be in the World Series every year, and they finally were once. But, uh, you know, that was a tremendous time, you know, just following them both. You know. I, yeah, those those Subway Series, you know, lead-up twos. And just in general, it's, you know, I, I, I'm a Red Sox fan. Admittedly, grew up in Massachusetts. and Oh, yeah? Whereabouts in Massachusetts? Outside of central Massachusetts, uh, Worcester. Oh, okay, Worcester. Yeah, yeah, no, Worcester, yeah. So, uh Bye. I went to games as a kid, you know, growing up and yeah, yeah. I remember traveling to the old Yankee stadium. I think it was 2001. I got to see Pedro Martinez pitch against Mike Musuna and it came yeah. out yeah. on the ninth and, <laughs> and Mark Bellhorn booted the ball for the Red Sox. <laughs> yeah. The Yankees yeah. ended up winning, but, it was, but you know, 
<laughs> that rivalry's fun. It's been a it's been a much better century for you guys. <laughs> I think the karma has has turned as it will. You know, <laughs> we certainly waited a long time for it. That's for yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, going back to talking about the Yankees, you were mm-hmm. co-author for Reggie Jackson's book. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you because we do have a lot of Yankees fans that listen to the show and Reggie Jackson fans. Do you have any interesting stories or insight from you? Oh, you know, he was very interesting guy, very smart, uh, you know, guys invested well all his life. Um, you know, great man remembers every car he's ever seen (laughs) huge car fanatic. You know, I'd say stuff about, you know, we're talking about the old A's and I'd say, well, you know, Dave Duncan, you Oh yeah, Dave was driving a you know a, a white walled Cadillac, you know, whenever so just like boom, you know. Uh, but yeah, smart guy, interesting guy. I think the most interesting thing I learned from him was um, uh, how much he thought about the game. And again, you know, Reggie Jackson, somebody who's quite intelligent. I even ball players though, who I think we don't think of as that intelligent, are very intelligent about their sport whatever it is. It's really interesting how they, they know what to do. Uh, you know, in, in my book, there's a great description of uh, Babe Ruth describing how he hit. And he was, you know, he was really pretty scientific. He had thought about every part of this. And Reggie Jackson gave me this great description how, of how in 1977, in the game where he hit three home runs in the World Series on, on three swings, he... Uh, you know, he had kind of planned this out a little bit with uh, Gene Michael, uh, and uh, the, you know, he to make it look like he was uh, standing um, uh, further back, uh, far, to make it look like he was standing farther back in the box than he was, and so to get them to uh, you know pitch what they thought was inside to him, and uh, you know, and boom, he he did it. Um, you know, very very interesting how how. All ball players, you know, know what they're doing. How pros kind of know the inside parts of their game. That's true. The the technique and the you know the mental, you know, I always think about when it comes down to. Although he's not uh, revered right now in the press as such, I always had a deep respect for Kurt Schilling and the homework that he put in in preparation. Yeah. You know, he always had his notebook in between every inning. He'd be writing down, you know, these are the pitches I threw. This was the reaction, and he would put serious prep work into making sure that he could pitch his best game. And, you know, like going back to your point, the cerebral part of the game that so many of the greats had to develop over time. Very, very much so. And it's, uh, you know, it's terrific. I was really surprised by one thing too, you know, Christy Mathewson at one point tells the sports writer how, uh, tells, I think, Grantland Rice how, um, y- you know, you really have to have, you have to have a good alibi. And I was I was stunned by this because this is exactly how the opposite of exactly the opposite of how we think about great ball players. You know, no excuses. But he said, like, no, it, it really should have a good alibi. So, like, when you lose, you know, when you do lose, you can say, well, it was because of this. It was because of that. I was whatever. And I, I was kind of shocked to see that. But it was uh, it was very interesting to me. And he was certainly, you know, a, f- a fantastic pitcher. But uh you know, that he just wanted that in the back of his head, a reason for when he, when he lost. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's good to have that loaded up and ready to go. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kevin, I'd like uh, to ask you too, about true. when was the light bulb moment to write this book? Oh gosh. Like what was the inspiration? Well, the light bulb moment to write this book really came from my an, an, uh, original editor on it, Andrew Miller, uh, who was a fellow sports fan, fellow, uh, you know, a, um, a uh, a diehard uh, Mets fan, and uh, he was. Uh, we became friends around you know that two thousand time there, and it was his idea to write this. The book got much. I already had a contract to write a couple other books, and then it was much delayed by uh, other books I wrote and other things I was doing to kind of keep Hearth and Home together, uh, and uh, you know, and just the trying to squeeze this into something, you know, and. Uh, Andrew uh, just recently went off to become publisher of Henry Holt, which is great. Um, John Friedman, who filled in, in, you know, with the last part of the editing and all, was fantastic as well at at Knopf, which has been a terrific uh, company to work with. But, um, you know, they initially had the idea to do this. 
and I I signed up and <laughs> got more than I bargained for. But uh, it's going to be two books now instead of the original one. This one goes through 1945. We'll be back with the second volume in the spring of 2026. Oh, this so, is exciting. This yeah. is, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> what are you hoping the legacy of this book is going to be, Kevin? How do you hope it's going to add to the to the tapestry of baseball history, baseball enthusiasm? Yeah. You know, I hope people see it as this, you know, as its origins as being what they are in the city. Uh, I hope they get, a, you know, a, uh, a better appreciation for how colorful it was, how colorful the city was, you know, and what it was that, you know, how these things all work together. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's, it's great, uh, being on rounders in that, uh, rounders was originally what, what, uh, created the double day myth, you know, because, because of, you know, AG Spalding didn't like the fact that, uh, baseball was said to, you know, Henry, that Henry Chadwick, the so-called father of baseball said baseball came from rounders. So he got together this commission to determine where it did come from. And they, they came up with a completely made up origin story, <laughs> which is fun to, to <laughs> yeah, which is fun to, fun to tell too, but fun to debunk as well. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, but yeah. Was there anything with your research? Did you, do you feel that there's still, aspects of baseball's story that needs to be told little areas that you saw oh this is interesting maybe we can come back to this or baseball really needs to look into this more well you know as they say uh eight million stories in the naked city and eight million stories in new york baseball too there were so many great characters who i couldn't really get into because the book would have been you know endlessly long um you know guys like uh like turkey mike donlin who was this you know, uh, had this horrible background. He came out of both his parents died early in a train accident, uh, became as well as this, a great player, this kind of rampaging drunk, you know, once punched an actress that he was going out with in the face, you know, and then got reformed by another actress who sobered him up. He quit baseball, went around, toured with, with her. Uh, she died early. Uh, so, and he went back to baseball, but for the most part, kind of stayed a, a you know respectable citizen after that. Great stories, you know. Guys like Urban Shocker, um, best baseball name ever. You know, it sounds like a headline in its own. Urban Shocker, terrific pitcher, died early of uh, of a heart condition. You know, these um, you know there are a lot, a lot of guys dying early, which uh, I have some of in the in the book, which you know reflects America then too. Um, you know, it's uh, it's very interesting how we look at ourselves th- through the prism of the game. Uh, how the you know it's it's baseball. How much baseball is what we want uh, us to be, you know, and how we impose things on it, uh, but also uh, you know try to live up to it. Absolutely, Kevin. The book's coming out soon. You know, for those of you who are listening to this, like in 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 the span of when we publish it, it comes out on March fifth. Correct. March fifth is the official pub pub date yeah excuse me um yeah it's uh you can you can certainly pre-order it uh but also at fine bookstores everywhere so uh, yeah and, uh, and we'll make sure to include pre-order links in the show notes for listeners if great. you want to go ahead and do that kevin how can uh listeners connect with you are you active on social media is there a way that people oh, could yeah i have a uh i have a website there uh they can you know uh, contact me at www.kevin baker dot kevin dot baker dot no kevin dot kevin baker dot info one word kevin baker dot info you know or you know or or a canoff but uh uh yeah feel people should feel free to write um you know happy to do that we'll have a few readings around the uh the new york area as well i'm going to be at uh, talking at the uh, casey stangle chapter of saber at uh, Midtown Manhattan in uh, on March 23rd, uh, out at Oyster Bay with uh, Theodore's books on uh, the 26th. So, uh, you know, and I'm sure there'll be other dates. But uh, yeah, come on out and come on out and hear the speaking, as uh, Lyndon Johnson used to say. You know? So it'll be fun. 
Well, to all the listeners, yes, I'd encourage you to check out the book. It's a great read. Again, we'll include all the links in the show notes so you can connect. Kevin, before you go, sure. My, some of my premium subscribers submitted questions they wanted to ask you. Yep. Love to hear them. Love to hear them. Yeah. And these are more current tense, which I thought was interesting. And yeah, based yeah. On so. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I follow the game still today. Not not as much as I did when I was eight, but I still follow it pretty pretty closely today. Well, this was kind of fun. I've asked this one yeah. to other authors, and it came up again because I guess it's a popular thing to hear from from people. But what rule changes do you see for baseball in the next decade or so? And you know, how do you see the game evolving? Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I would like to get rid of the Manfred man, as people call it, you know, the the thing limiting extra innings, which I think is ridiculous. That's just another attempt to, you know, we don't have some, as you know, we don't have like tons of endless extra inning games. This is just an attempt to squeeze baseball into TV size packages. So I think that's absurd. I'd like to see that go. Uh, I like the pitching clock. I like, you know, because it's, forces the action but you know with that as with the other rules about the uh, changes in the in the infield you know changes on how many how much of a shift you can do i i think baseball needs to get back to a general change in mindset a general change in how organically it's played as opposed to rules you know uh, as you know as as most of your listeners know um, it, it used to adjust itself to a great degree. Uh, there were always rule changes, but there were, you know, if you played some, put some apps, you know, crazy shift on, uh, players, even great players, even great power hitters like Babe Ruth, and Mickey Mantle would bunt the hell out of you. They'd bunt doubles down the third base line all day. And then that shift would end, you know, we, you know, p- uh, pitchers taking forever and batters stepping out forever. Uh, where something that was uh, uh, something that really not only slows down the game for the fans, but also makes your fielders less attentive. You know, you want to kind of buzz along with the game here. You know, th- this way of of learning from the game, of remembering the rhythms of the game, is something that baseball needs to get back to, instead of more artificial things being imposed on it. You know, ball players being taught to be more all around players. You know, th- those are statistics. The, uh, you know, st- I'm all for the whole revolution in statistics. It really opened up a, a lot of ways on what was going on in the game. You know, Bill James is a genius, you know, but I think now it's the statistics have overwhelmed the game a little, you know, like, yes, you, you know, it, it, it's made it into the sport where there's way too much just walking or striking out, not enough hitting of the the ball. You know, the action is is too limited. Uh, and I think baseball is a, culturally needs to adjust that. That's a great insights. Next Thanks. question. What rules from baseball's New York roots would you bring back? Oh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> that's terrific. I don't know if there's much I'd bring back. I mean, what's interesting is how the New York game just kind of evolved too. You know, like things like initially, you know, you're supposed to throw the ball underhanded where the batter wanted it. And that, that changed like, okay, we uh, curve balls now legal. You know, you can throw it overhand. You can throw it sidearm. Uh, you know, I love all that stuff. I, would, I wouldn't bring back stuff like, you know, if you could uh, catch it on one bounce for an out, I would not bring that back. Uh, I like the fact that you can, you know, you have to catch it on the fly. Uh, it led to one of the great, nicknames early on which was uh bob death to flying things ferguson you know, <laughs> yeah i guess he caught every flying thing that went by him but uh they um no i you know it's hard to say what would be a rule from the old days that would would you could bring back uh there were things like the fair foul hit that might be interesting to see where if you could uh hit it so it was fair and then bounce foul but uh I, you know, for the most part, I think it's, uh, it's the, the rules have evolved pretty well. Very good. Next one. What advice would you give aspiring writers, especially those interested in exploring historical or sports related themes in their work? I would say, you know, that I would give it'd be pretty much the same advice I'd give writers in any field, which is write constantly, write 
daily if you can. Uh, and also read, read terrific people, read the best people in your field, you know, read Roger Angel, read, uh, you know, George Will, read, there are so many interesting, you know, excellent sports writers out there, you know, uh, Nikki Davidoff, um, I'm, you know, I'm forgetting half a, <laughs> forgetting a hundred of them off, <laughs> but you know, there are great, great baseball writers, you know, read them uh read read terrific sports writers um and just you know sit down the 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 biggest thing i think in writing is really the discipline of it sitting down every day putting in a set amount and that's that's basically how i uh, had to learn to do it and it's uh you know it'll serve you well great advice from you know prolific author how many books have mm-hmm. you written overall you know, I think this is the twelfth, and I'm either uh, author or co-author of. Uh, f- uh, let's see, five novels. Um, you know, a bunch of histories, some current affairs. You know, did a um, a graphic novel, which is to say, a comic book. Uh, you know, I uh, you know I I wrote the parts of it. I have zero artistic talent, but. But hooked up with this guy Daniel JJ, who was a terrific artist to do that. So, so yeah, it's been a wide variety of of things, and uh, and great fun to do. Well, thanks for taking the time to field some of those questions from the premium subscribers, and it was good getting to know you. In addition to the book here, great getting to know you, and and thanks for having me on. Absolutely, everybody. The book is the New York Game Baseball and the Rise of a New City, coming out March fifth, twenty twenty four. You can pre-order now. Remember to check the show notes for links. Let's support Kevin. And Kevin, thank you again for coming on the show. (laughs) Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks for joining us for this episode as we explored another amazing moment from baseball history. You can help grow the show by liking us on YouTube and your podcast app of choice. Don't forget to head on over and sign up for the free email newsletter and the bonus show, This Week in Baseball History. Just go to www.rounders.substack.com. A special thanks to our premium subscribers that are helping us grow for just $1.25 a week. And to our starting nine supporters, Nathan Halverson and Jack Wilson, you are the producers helping make this the top baseball history show out there. See you next week. And remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball.